what an incredible journey this is through 1 Corinthians. And we have hit one of the several chapters in Corinthians that if it doesn't leave you a little troubled, confused, and scratching your heads, then you might be trying to make God manageable. I'll explain. I had a, a wife of a leader once look at people and say, well, God wouldn't give us anything that's hard to understand when she was talking about scripture. And I was blown away to the point where I didn't say anything at the time because I was thinking, have you read this in context? Now I want to grant you, the Bible is hard to understand no matter how you go at it, but it's a whole lot easier to understand. If you read it from presently a 2021 mindset looking back, but you're going to miss all the good stuff. Eh, not all of it, a lot of it. We are to read it from the way they heard it. And we talked about that in that special question and answer thing uh, that we posted yesterday. That kind of blew up. A lot of people are getting a lot more questions. So we may have to do that on a more regular basis. But that said, there are passages in the Old Testament that are brutally hard to understand, but when they're not just there. Even Peter said Paul wrote some things that were hard to understand. So if Peter had issues, we're going to as well. Corinth was a mess, remember? Corinth was a mess to the point where the Romans had an expression that they used about people who were misbehaving and out of control. They said they acted like a Corinthian. And this church is absolutely misbehaving and out of control, but Paul still refers to them as brothers and sisters, and he's glad to have them as part of the believing body of Christ. And then we get to chapter seven, and we have to remember the milieu in which we are, that the situation in which we are. Jesus has died, he was resurrected, he went to heaven. People assume he's coming right back. They're, they're certain he's coming right back to the point where some of them weren't even working anymore because what's the point of saving money when you're just gonna leave it behind? Uh, Jesus is coming back. Paul also thought Jesus was coming back very, very quickly. In these early books, you see it again and again. And that helps explain some of what's gonna happen in 1 Corinthians 7. We looked at the first six, seven verses last week and about, you know, well, the, uh, how, how husbands and wives' bodies belong to each other. And that, that was a pretty important thing to figure out. And then Paul says, you know, I wish all of you were like me. He seems to be asexual or just have decided that's just not for him. But then he goes, you have a gift, I have a gift. And I love that verse 7. You know, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. That's a good attitude to have. When you look at somebody, and you might look upon them, if you're honest, and think, well, they're a little weak. They could be stronger there. Wish they behaved better there. You need to understand that perhaps God gave you a gift, that he didn't give them. And they gave, God gave them a gift that you don't have. You may never know what it is. I had a lady, we were gonna, I was asked to come to a church and do a um, marriage seminar for them many years ago. So I went and there was this lady came up to me and just fierce, 
And she goes, I don't understand why we have to do these things. She, she wanted regular gospel meetings. And she said, my husband and I have been married, and I forget how many years, you know, 182 years, whatever it was. And, and we don't have any problems. Of course, inside, I'm thinking, oh, I bet you do, but I don't, you know, didn't say that. And I looked at her and I said, have you ever considered, because she went on at some length about these people that need these seminars. I said, have you ever, have you ever given the, the idea, the possibility, a little time to air in your head, that maybe you and your husband get along so well because God knew you were weak and therefore he gave you someone easy to be with but he didn't give that gift to these others. And they are with somebody who is difficult and it's a trial and they need to find a way to stay faithful within that. She was <laughs> for a while, but we actually later became friends and um, I, I think she was an absolute delight, but we had to get through that first. You have one gift, I have another. We don't really need to be judging each other. Just do what you can. And you're gonna hear that do what you can a lot here in chapter seven. Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. The NIV really struggles in this one as far as I'm concerned, and I love the NIV, I've said that before. Uh, it. The, it's really a bit more blunt. It's better to marry than burn. Um, and it probably does mean with passion, but there are times that I miss the King James, not the you know, using that in the pulpit and the like, but the way italics are used for adding English words to fully explain what the Greek's trying to say there. Uh, we don't get that kind of signal in the NIV or in most versions. So what in the world is going on to the unmarried and the widows? The unmarried there actually can also mean widowers, uh, a word which is disappearing from our language where uh, we find that, you know, like actor, actresses, now they're all actors, comedian, comedian. We don't do that anymore. And widower is disappearing. These are widowed people. It might actually not be um, all about the widows here, but just be aware that that's true. Um, the word usually means widowers and widows. I say it's good for them to stay unmarried. Now, why? Paul thought Jesus was coming back soon. He knew persecution was coming. That was part of what he was receiving from God. And it is better not to have to worry about children and wives. I mean, if somebody, uh, let's just play pretend here, all right? If somebody came up to me and put a gun to my head and said, deny Jesus or die, I don't, I don't think I'd be tempted to deny Jesus. If they put it up against the gun up against my wife's head, I might hesitate. If that disappoints any of you, sorry. If they put the gun up against one of my grandchildren's heads, the game changes. And of course it does. When Jesus talked about the fall of Jerusalem, he said, woe to them who are pregnant, you know, with child, those of you that that have these families, you're going to have a much rougher time. If you're on the run and you're hungry and you might be starving to death, you can probably handle that. You're tough. But if it's your babies, 
that's different. So he's saying, in this situation, in the world in which we live, it would be better not to marry. But if you just, if you just have to, get married. Paul was a fan of marriage. And we know that in the rest of his writings. This is a unique situation in Corinth. And he's just, and he'll even come in and say, listen, this is just coming from me, not from the Lord. And then other times he'll say, well, the Lord's given this one to me. He's really just struggling to find a way to help them apply Christ to their reality. And their reality is very different than ours. He goes on to the married, I give this command, and then kind of parenthetically, but they didn't have parentheses back then, not I, but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. This is very important in a culture where a divorce was absolutely as rife, if not more, than it is in our culture, and certainly was easier to do in their culture. In some cultures back in the day, and I do not know about Corinth, in some cultures back in the day, a guy just had to say to his wife, I divorce you three times, and that was it. So it was pretty easy back then. And mates were sometimes considered disposable whenever a person became a Christian and they're holding me back. I've not seen it a ton of times, but probably 10 times or so in my life where a person became a Christian and we're all in for Jesus and we're so disappointed in their mate that eventually they left their mate and the, the, the process often started at Bible class when they saw another person who was all in for Christ whose wife or husband might be holding them back and all of a sudden you've split the marriage and Paul's going, no, stay. Be reconciled. Work on this. Now, Paul's not talking about if a man is beating the wife or a wife is beating a husband. He's not talking about if, if they become you know, addicts or, you know, he's talking about marriage in general. Keep it holy. But then he's going to bring up something next, and we, got, we cannot separate this. This is not a discrete passage. It's part of a whole. He goes, to the rest, I say this. And then he goes, I not the Lord. Now, once again, Bible uh, literalists who claim that God breathed every single word of Scripture have a problem with 1 Corinthians. There are several books they have a problem with because Paul keeps saying things such as, well, I don't really remember if I baptized anymore. And you know God didn't say that and have Paul write that down. You also know here, because he even says it, that, you know, this is just coming from me. God says, and, and Jesus did say, marriage is for life. He, he said that. And now Paul says, if any brother has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. So there's none of this, I've, I've evolved into a better, you know, higher soul than you, so I have to leave you. And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Holy. What? I don't know. 
and there have been whole books written about this, and there have been fights about this. They're sanctified because they, you're a Christian, and so they're set apart too, and your children are holy too. We don't really get this. This is a doctrine which really doesn't show up other places, but it does show up in literature. My, um, I just read a remake of uh, Faustus, or Faust, Goethe's great um, long novel about a, uh, a doctor and a magician and you know, who uh, sells his soul to the devil, but eventually he is saved because of his pure love for uh, a young woman who is a, a pure and holy Christian. Therefore, he's saved because she was saved and he loved her. And so this, this idea worked its way all the way up through the medieval ages, at least. As a person, and this will upset many who are listening, as a person who is almost a universalist when it comes to salvation, and we will do a long series of Monday morning messages about this when we have the time to do it. This does not upset me that these people are being brought closer and closer to God because they've married somebody. And if they treat that child of God as a child of God and they're honorable in their marriage, God honors that. And if you're out there yelling at your iPhone or iPad, well, what about Jesus and salvation? Um, I, I know, I know nobody's saved without Jesus. So he's gonna have to do something offsite for them after death and I get that and it's not always clear what that will be but I have so much trust in the love of God so much trust that when God said God is love he meant it and so I get some comfort in this passage that is really an isolated unit that's difficult to reconcile with other things we've heard and then he goes on to say but if the believer leaves let it be so. You're not under obligation to hunt them down and beg for them to come back. If they leave, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Um, actually, Paul uses a legal term here, which in some versions, they are not under bondage anymore. That's, that's a little bit strange and strong. It's more, more like the contract has ended, you are free from your obligation. If they leave, now if you drive them off, really, that's not gonna be okay. But if they leave, you don't have to hunt them down, beg them to come back and remain all unmarried the rest of your life because that contract is now broken. Please remember, if you went through our series on Revelation, we brought this up repeatedly, the word adultery in scripture does not always mean sex between two people who are married but not to each other. Adultery means the breaking of a covenant. Um, domestic violence would be breaking of a covenant. Neglect would be breaking of a covenant. Um, there are so many ways we can do this. We don't look for excuses to end a marriage. But when a marriage is ended, we accept that it is ended. He says, God's called you to live in peace. You don't have to spend your life raging and fighting to, to patch something and to raise a sunken ship. You are now free to be at peace. And then he backs up to what he had said before about if they, if they stay in the marriage, 
you know, how do you know, wife, whether you'll save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? I don't want to give anybody false hope here. But I will tell you, um, once in Scotland, we were just pushing the literature through the door. Uh, mail is, is delivered through doors in Britain. And we were just putting our literature through it. And later that evening, got a call from a man in Barhead, Barhead, Scotland. And he said, you put this through my door? And I went, yes. He goes, I want to talk to you. And I'm going, oh, okay. He sounded angry. So I went to see him. His name is Bill Paul. And uh, cut to the end of the story, he became a believer and one of the nicest men I knew. But at that time, he was in his 70s. His wife had always been a Christian. He had been a communist labor organizer, a knee breaker, you know, a, a protest leader back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s as the shipyards were um, shutting down along the, the coast in Scotland, the Clyde River. A bad guy. And he'd ridiculed her religion, never gone to church with her. But after her death, it had shaken him just enough. He'd been thinking. And then a few years later, here this literature pops through his door. Uh, he had a lot to say. Uh, that was somewhat of a process. And I'd love to tell you Bill Paul stories for the next hour, but I'm just gonna shrink it down to this. He came to God because his wife was faithful her entire life. And it was after her death that he came. That may be a unicorn. That might be a very rare thing. I have no way of knowing. But every time I read this, how do you know, wife, whether you'll save your husband? I, I think of Mrs. Paul, who I never met, but I, I plan to one day. But again, does that mean you should stay there when you're getting hurt, you're not safe? Or No, no, no. We're going to let God take care of this. Here's a good phrase to remember. Somebody already died for that person. You don't have to. All right? Moving on. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer. Watch this. In whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them, this is the rule I, Paul, lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called, he should not become uncircumcised. All right, um, there actually is a surgical procedure that is there to reverse circumcision. It is totally unnecessary, not effective, but there are people who, who want it. Uh, just, there, there are surgeries for other things like this down around our equipment. Um, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, if you were Jewish and you came to Christ, you don't have to be non-Jewish. You can be Jewish. And if and he'll go, if you're uncircumcised and you're called, don't be circumcised. In other words, if you're not Jewish, don't have to be Jewish. Now, Paul illustrated this just by his behavior. It wasn't in the form of a sermon. Young Timothy, who was his son in the faith and was uh, a Jew, he took him to be circumcised. Even that they're, they're both Christian ministers at this stage. Titus, he would not. Titus was Greek. And people got very mad at him about this, but no, Titus is Greek. He's not a Jew. He doesn't have to be a Jew. Christians, there are several different doctrines that, that rise every so often and shipwreck people's faith. And it's rising again now. This idea, um, it's a new flavor of it. 
it, it marries the end times kind of we are special prophecies with Messianic Judaism creeping its way in. Now, a Messianic Jew is just a Jew who believes that Jesus is the Messiah. God bless them. You know, we, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm so thrilled to be part of the same faith community. But then they will go so far as to, they have to, they have to say you know, Torah and Yahweh and Yeshua, and they have to, they have to use these little um, Hebrew or Hebraisms is what they're really called. And they have to use it in certain ways. And it's to make them feel a little bit more holy and more a prophet. And these are the end of times. And, and it's in churches. And Paul says, no, no. In fact, he's, circumcision, he said, is nothing. Verse 19. You know, I got to tell you something. You've been a Jew for the last 1,500 years. You think circumcision was a whole lot of stuff. But he goes, it's nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. In other words, according the way God looks at us, he couldn't care less if you're a Jew or a Gentile. We're, he's, he, yes, does he love the Jews? Yes. Does he love the Jews? Yes. Does he love us, the non-Jews? Yes. And that's the whole point Paul's trying to get across here. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Well, that passage has been ripped out of there and made to, um, you know, used where you have to be there on Wednesday night if we say there's a Bible class and you have to do this if we, no. And then they'll say, not forsaking the assembly, no. God's commands were, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength, your, your soul, and then love your neighbors as yourself. And Paul will bring that up many times. Let's remember what the commands are he's referring to. Each person, he said, should remain in a situation they were when God called them. Now, some people look upon this as an absolute command. If you're unmarried, stay unmarried. If you're married, you have to stay. It just, no, he's trying to illustrate to the Corinthians a wildly divided, angry, contentious, competitive society. But God loves us all. It's okay to be who you are as God called you. And are there ramifications for us today? You betcha, as they'd say in North Michigan. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who is a slave when called to faith in the Lord is a Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slave of human beings. And he's going to say once again, stay in the position you're called. Now, all of this troubles us when we hear the word slaves because of the uh, legacy of slavery in the United States. Be aware that slavery still exists in many places in Asia, but a lot of places in, in Africa, North Africa in particular, Mali, Sudan, um, the, they have active markets. They, uh, Thomas Sowell, an African-American economist who, uh, one of the smartest men I've ever known and what a researcher, wrote an entire essay on the number of white people enslaved by Muslim African traders. And it's his contention that that number is far more than the total of slaves that were brought to the United States. Now, I have no idea if he did his math right. My only point in bringing it up 
is that people have always been slaved and slavers. We all bear a stain here. And there are no, no group of us that can go, well, we feel a bit better about ourselves because we're not as bad as them. Humans have mistreated humans forever. We may have to do a series uh, on what slavery meant in the Old Testament and at different places, what it meant to Paul and the like. They, there were absolute, there were absolutely slaves that were slaves uh, against their will. This happened a lot. Now, in the Old Testament, there is a mixture, but not here. But there were slaves that were in poverty and would attach themselves to a home. And in Roman society, I really don't know much about the Corinthian society's view of this, but in Roman society, um, it was very, very common for slaves to take the last name or the family name or the family they were in and for them to be have certain rights and, and privileges. But again, not all. So what are you going to do? If you're a slave and Christ calls you, do you run away and do, or do you knife your, your owner and the family? What do you do? And Paul's telling him, you don't try to get out, but if you can, get out. But you be a Christian, even if you're a slave. And then he says, and if you're a free person, become a slave to Christ. So he's trying to, if we don't see the big picture here, all of this becomes grossly offensive. See the big picture and we get it, we're all terrible human beings. We all need to bow our knee and become a slave to Christ and say, whatever your will is, Father, just as Jesus did in the garden, not my will, but thine be done. It's a brutally difficult thing to do. Jesus did it and he says, follow me. This is how you do it. And he goes again, brothers and sisters, each person is responsible to God, should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. This was used, by the way, for the British uh, to validate their class system. So no, you were born to a family of barrel makers, coopers. That is what you will be. It doesn't matter if you wanted to be a doctor. It doesn't matter if you wanted to be a landowner. You can't. You're a barrel maker. You're a cooper. No, nope, you were born to be a farmer. No, nope, you were born to be a lord, even though you are an, an idiot, an alcoholic who has left uh, children by other women all over the earth. We still have to call you my lord and such because you were born into that, chosen by God. That's rubbish. Absolute, complete rubbish. And I have other words for it that Paul would have used, but we're not allowed to in public conversation. And there may be children present and they won't hear those words till at least second grade. So that's not what he's saying. He's asking us to be content and to follow Jesus where we are rather than saying, I would do so much more for Jesus if I was over there. He didn't give us that option. Then he goes, now, concerning virgins, <laughs> uh, and which means that they wrote him about virgins. They wrote him questions about it. Remember, he's answering questions and assertions they've made. Here we go. <clears throat> now, about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So once again, he's saying, okay, this is, this is off books here. This is just me talking. 
because of the present crisis, I think that it's good for a man to remain as he is. If you're pledged to a woman, don't seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Don't look for a wife. And then he adds, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. It's not anti-marriage. It's about the situation they're in. Persecutions have already begun. Paul himself will be killed by Rome and in a, in a judicial proceeding and a death penalty. He knows it's coming. Parts of it are already on its way. And that's what he's trying to spare them. I had a life lined up for myself where I was going and what I was going to do. I'm not going to give any details because that's not the point. Then I met Miss Cammie. It changed because I could put myself in certain positions and be fine, but I couldn't put her in those positions. I couldn't put her in places where she might be in poverty or in danger. And I had to change the direction that I was going to go in my life. That's normal. That's in fact, I, I would think laudable that we consider our mate in all of our decisions and consider the best for them. And Paul here is saying, it's, it's gonna get bad. So he goes on, what I mean brothers and sisters is that the time is short and those who have wives should live as if, as if they do not. And that's, that's so hard. In other words, the gun to the head, you're going to have to live as if you didn't have all of this other. It's coming and you're gonna to have to stand for Jesus when you might not want to. Those who mourn as if they did not, we don't have time to be crying. We have to move. Those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. You see, the end of the world, the great persecutions, the coming back of God. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. He probably meant the entire planet and it's the system on the planet, but he certainly could be referring here to the Roman system and the empire, and it, it was falling. Uh, it would die many deaths over the next four or 500 years, but yeah. I would like for you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair, how he can please the Lord, but a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, um, the, the Roman Catholics use this as one of their justifications for priests being unmarried and for nuns marrying the Lord. You know, um, technically their husband is Jesus. I, I get that, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. You can't get that just from here. Uh, but in, again, to be fair to our Catholic brothers and sisters, they don't believe that the Bible has all of it. They believe the Bible plus the tradition and teachings of the church that they are equal and must be seen in light of each other. And, and therefore they are very consistent when they use it this way. 
those of us that are not Catholics and look upon scripture as more authoritative than tradition, we don't see this as they do. All right, but let's, let's not fight each other. Let's sit down and talk about these things, but let us not question each other's salvation. Jesus is in charge of that. None of us are. Last part of this chapter, we've been going for quite a while, but this is, this is a tough chapter. Uh, and it's not the last tough chapter we're going to get in Corinthians. If anyone's worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. Paul keeps trying to say, this is what I think you should do. But if you don't do that, it's not sinful. Now I say to you that you should do this, but if you don't, it's not sinful. Don't you wish we could talk to each other that way? And say, you know, I really wish you were more like this, but I'm not going to call you a sinner. And I really wish you, but I, that's not for me. And I, I know what that sounds like because I've had so many self-righteous people look at me and go, well, it's not for me to judge. And they're judging like crazy. We're supposed to not be judging, saying, you know, Paul was setting a high bar. But he said, you know, if you can't do that, it's all right. Uh, but the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, <clears throat> who's under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, there were forced marriages uh, by military commanders, government officials, yes, but mainly by families. If you have control, if you've made your own mind up not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. If you get married, you've done the right thing. If you don't get married, you've done the right thing. How does that work? If what you're doing it because you want to serve Jesus and this is the way he made you. Maybe he made you and gave you the gift of being single. That may not be the gift you wanted. For some people it is. I, I needed to be with Miss Cammie. She needed, I needed her to teach me many, many things. She still does. I needed her. I've told her many times. She doesn't like it when I say this, by the way. But I've told her, if anything ever happened to her, if she were to pass, I would quit ministry. And the reason isn't because I would lose my faith, because I don't think I would. It would be because I really can't do this job without her. You know, her wisdom, her support, her love. Well, that shows me that I was built for that. But if you're built for something else, be true to the way you were built and follow Jesus and serve Jesus. He wraps this up. Not a, he's going to get into another difficulty, another difficult situation here in the subject, but that's for next week. He goes, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In other words, when you have a choice, marry a Christian. And again, he just talked about some people are compelled by their families, society. But when you have a choice, marry a believer. Does that mean a person that agrees with you about everything? Well, I would hope not. And then what's, what's the purpose? When two people agree about everything, one of them is unnecessary. We need to sharpen each other. In my judgment, she's happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. So is he saying God says she would be happier if she didn't remarry? No. He's saying, I think she'd be happier if she didn't remarry. 
and and I think I think I've got some wisdom from God here. So these aren't commands. These are suggestions to a widely varying group of people who are in a widely varying group of situations who have an overcompassing set of situations, i.e. Roman Empire, persecution, the coming worst persecution and the fall of the empire, all of those things they will have in common if they live. And next week, how are we going to be, how are we going to deal with each other when we do have these differences? But that's next week, and we've gone well over 30 minutes today. I do try to keep it under 40, and we're going to make it today. If you have questions, Patrick, at rsafeharbor.com, please go to our YouTube channel and subscribe, Our Safe Harbor Church, and subscribe there. It encourages us um, quite a lot. If you can watch us, uh, watch the worship, and just check in, uh, you can either do that live in a chat, a chat panel or afterwards in the comments. That, that encourages us. But the best way to watch is probably on our app. So just go to the App Store and look for uh, the, the blue Tithely icon and search for Our Safe Harbor. Uh, the app will then download. You can see all of our stuff then on your phone anytime you want. You can give through the phone if you choose to give. You're never pressured. Uh, you can also find all of our other resources there. God bless you. Uh, I really enjoy our time together. Share this if you think somebody needs it. And if there's anything we can do for you, you let us know because we are with you wherever you are. God bless. Cheerio. We are ready. We're ready to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, by the way, I've received a couple of notes uh, from people over the last, I'd say, three months and just a couple saying they need the volume of this turned up or for me to get a bit closer to my phone because their hearing is, is not good. And when they turn it all the way up, they miss some things. And I'm really sorry uh, to hear that. And so we're looking into how to fix that. I don't have an external microphone that hooks into my iPhone that would make this uh, sound clearer uh, and you'd be able to turn it up some more. So we're working on it, all right? First Corinthians chapter eight. We just got out of chapter seven. You might be going, whew, we can relax. Uh, not really. Chapter 8 seems very odd to us, but it's also very short. There was a problem. In Corinth, as in almost every Roman city, there were temples and gods everywhere. Now, the things that were sacrificed to the gods, the gods ended up not eating, funnily enough. And so there would be a lot of meat, you know, blood offerings given to these different gods. But since the gods didn't eat them, the priest or whoever was running that particular cult would then move that meat over to a market. And of course they'd get food for them and for the staff, I guess, of the, of the, uh, the pagan temple. But um, they also could get money by selling the meat. And so it was cheaper. It was used meat, you know, I guess is the best way to put it. And so a lot of Christians would go down and buy that. And that was really upsetting other Christians in Corinth. Once again, you have Jewish believers, Gentile believers, and any time that we say Jewish or Gentile, we're not talking about a monolithic block of people and they, you know, all Jews felt like this and all Gentiles felt like this. They all brought their histories with them. And some believed 
that if you ate meat sacrificed to idols, that made you one with the idol. Or that was, you are, you are now subsidizing that pagan cult with your money and you are eating meat that may be tainted by the spirit of some god out there. Now, Paul didn't believe any of those things. Uh, I do know, for example, that uh, let's say Nike backs a particular political issue and people will say, well, we'll never buy Nike again. You know, that's, that's completely, you, you're within your rights and you can, you're allowed to draw your lines where you want to draw them and make your statements as you wish. I would remind you, however, that we have no idea how the electric company is using those funds. We do have some idea about how taxes are being used. We're not thrilled about that sometimes. Uh, I have no idea how the grocery stores around me, at Kroger, Publix, I don't know how they use uh, my money. I don't know what they support and what they back. I am pretty sure that Amazon couldn't survive without me, but I don't know everything that they're doing either. You, you get the point. Sometimes you just have to go buy the bread and buy the meat. But it was bothering some people. And so Paul says, listen, there, there are not any other gods. He calls them so-called gods. He says, but not everybody knows that. And that's down in, uh, let's see, where is that? Well, down, that would be in, in verses five and six. Not everybody knows this. They don't understand it. So be careful. There, be careful around the brothers and sisters that are weaker, that don't know what you know. Don't just barge in there with the meat. Instead, you may need to help them and lead them. And Paul goes so far as to say uh, that we are free. We have so many rights, verse nine and forward. But don't exercise your rights in a way that harms others. And here he's talking about a spiritual harm. You know, I have the, um, I have the right to drive because we have, um, you know, I have a license and there are laws and therefore I have, it's a privilege. It's not enumerated in the Bill of Rights, but I still have to follow certain rules. Let's say, let's just go to the one which, uh, you know, upsets so many people, either free speech or the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, if you have the right to keep and bear arms, okay. Is there a way to do that, that, that would offend your neighbors and upset? Yes, yes. It, if you are in a state which allows you to carry around, around a loaded rifle, okay. Why would you take that into Walmart? You might say to protect myself. Well, you know, there are other ways to protect yourself with firearms rather than carrying an open rifle into a store. You get the point. And if you are really mad at me for even using that illustration, don't lose the point. The point of the story is the point of the story. Don't make of it anything else. So he says, be careful that you don't become a stumbling block to the weak. Because, and the stumbling block here would be, well, they're going into that temple, they're subsidizing it, they're eating the meat. I believe that means that there are gods uh, that they are subsidizing and these gods will then follow them home and bless them. Well, that's, that's all messed up theologically, but people weren't, people weren't monotheist. This was hard for them. And then Paul says, I don't want to destroy my weaker brother or sister by my knowledge. Therefore, if eating causes my brother or sister to sin, I'll never eat meat again. 
here's where a lot of church bullies get their ammunition. They'll say, well, you sang that song and that offended me. That offended me. So you can't do that. Or I didn't like it when you brought that instrument in. That offended me. And they use this as kind of their trump card to say, well, you offended me, therefore you can't do it. Because Paul said, it'd be better never to do it than offend people. The problem is they're using this from a position of amazing power and strength. When Paul was talking about weak brothers and sisters, ignorant, he used the word, ignorant brothers and sisters. So are you volunteering to be the weak and the ignorant? And if so, then we can teach you so that you are no longer offended. It is rather like self-pity. Back in the day, I used to be a shrink. For eight years, nine years almost, we ran a counseling practice before we were able to finally ease out of that part of our life and go on to do other things. Um, long story there uh, about getting in and, and we really had to because people needed us. And then they didn't need us as much anymore. Um, they, and we, we wanted to stop doing the counseling practice. So all of that to say, I treated all kinds of folk, but the one type of person I would not treat were those that had designed their life around self-pity. Why would I not treat them? Because they're where they want to be. They're the most powerful people in any room they enter. If they're invited to a party, because we have to invite them, they'll sit on the couch where everybody else is talking, having fun, <sighs> until finally somebody has to stop having fun and sit beside them and allow their power to adjust the temperature of the room. And so nothing I was gonna say was gonna give them more power or satisfaction than what they already had. Don't feed these powers. And the one who's always in church going, well, I'm, I'm offended, stop that. No, 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 that's not what Paul is talking about. And you are being a bully, a spiritual bully, and you need to stop. I've had many people in my preaching years come up to me and say, I was made very uncomfortable by something which happened in worship today. And my response is always, who told you that it was our goal to make you comfortable? There are crosses around this place. That should be a clue that being a Christian is not about being comfortable. It's about being led and fed and giving yourself to Jesus. And some of that's gonna be fun. Some of it's not gonna be. Chapter nine, Paul starts it with, am I, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? There does, there does seem to have been a section of the Corinthian church that questioned Paul's story, whether or not he was an apostle. This will become 